0: Empty and broken, I came back to Him. A vessel unworthy, so scarred to sin, but He did not despair, He started home. In am from... just picks up the pieces he doesn't throw the clay
1: And he shows that not only by saving us, but by keeping us and by using us. What a wonderful God we have. The Bible says he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's good to know because no matter what comfort you might need, God has it. He's not just the God of some comfort or some people's comfort, but he's the God of all
0: My soul, rough seas are calm. The wind cease to blow. No matter how dark may be the night, everything will be all right when the God of all comes. When the God Job's trial, he rose up to serve God as any other day. Bound and determined to live in God's favor, nothing would stand in his way. Then the messengers came one by one with their stories, Just a few moments, Joel lost all he had. His great wealth and riches, the health of his body, even his children. him to voice her opinion she said you should end it just first god and die but do rose from the ashes and looked toward the heavens i pushed back the tears from his eyes and he said Hey,
1: good to be in church on Monday night. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful Savior we have. Amen. A God that can be trusted. No matter what, you can always trust Him. Take your Bible, if you would, and open it up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 12. When you find that, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God. Mark chapter number 12. We'll begin reading in verse number 13 tonight. It says, And they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are indeed a God that can be trusted. That no matter what you do, we can trust you. We know that everything you allow in our lives, every circumstance, everything that we face, you can use it all for your honor and your glory and to conform us to the image of your dear Son. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight in this place, to finish off our day by being here and singing together, rejoicing together, fellowshipping together, and opening your word together. Lord, I pray you'd use it in our hearts and lives tonight. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17 is that familiar passage where Jesus gives that classic answer to that question. But the first 12 verses of the chapter, Jesus is also talking to a group of people. You see from verses 13 through 17 it's the Pharisees and the Herodians and the and the crowd in verses 1 through 12 the Pharisees are also amongst the crowd listening to Jesus give the parable that we know of as the parable of the husbandman and he tells the story he says there's a man that has a a piece of property and he gets a husbandman to be over that land and and to work the land and and then when it's time for the for the profit to be received from those fields and those lands, <clears throat> he sends a servant to collect from the husbandman. And instead of giving uh, the master what is due him, they beat the servant. And so he sends a second servant, and and the second servant is beaten. And he sends a third, and and they kill the third one. And, and many more are sent. Some are beaten, some are killed. And finally, the the owner of the land says, I'm going to, I'm going to send my son. I have one son and I'm going to send my only son down there to collect what is mine. And so he sends his only son and they kill his only son. And then you get down to verse number 12. uh, Excuse me, verse number nine. And it says, what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. Now, Quite often when we, when we see Jesus giving parables, we just think nobody understood the parables. And, and they just went on, in one ear and out the other and zipped over their heads and they missed all the meaning of the parables and, and all the rest. That was the case sometimes. But sometimes they knew exactly what he was talking about. And those Pharisees, as they stood there and they listened to Jesus tell the story, it began to dawn on them that they were in the story. And they were the villains. They were the bad guys, and they started to get angry, and, and it was obvious who he was talking about. Look at verse, verse number 12. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. Can you imagine standing there listening to Jesus tell them how evil they were and how awful they were? And, and it was all true. Here they were, the the keepers of the law and the keepers of the religion and all the rest that God had delivered and and they were supposed to take what God had given them and be a blessing to everybody and they took what God gave them and held on to it so tight they squeezed the life out of it till there was nothing left but a bunch of dead, dry religion and they liked that so much they even added to it. And when God would send prophets to cry against their wickedness, they'd beat the prophets and kill the prophets And, and now he had sent his only son And they knew what they had planned for him. And they got mad. But they regrouped. And they came back in verse 13. But the Pharisees didn't just come by themselves. In verse 13, they brought somebody else with them. They brought the Herodians. Now, the Pharisees are are that religious sect, very strict and uh, following the law and and keeping all of that and, and being very careful about every letter of it and and they were, they were really good at their religion. They, they were Jewish nationalists. They hated Rome. They didn't want anybody to be in, uh, over them. They wanted to be uh, free. As a matter of fact, the, the Pharisees were looking for a Messiah. But what they wanted was a political Messiah that would come and deliver them and set up a kingdom and put them at the top of the pile. They were looking for power. And when Jesus didn't offer that, they weren't interested in what he had to offer. And so here they are, these religious uh, nationalists. They're against Rome, they're strict in their Judaism, and they brought with them the Herodians. Now, the Herodians are not like the Pharisees, the Herodians are on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're not religious. They're secular Jews who have no real interest in the law, no real interest in what the Pharisees are doing. They don't like the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, they like the Roman occupation. It fills their pocketbooks, and they're they're profiting from the Roman occupation, and they like the idea that Rome's in charge, and, and they follow Herod, the puppet king that Rome has set up, hence the name Herodian's. They're just a political party. These are the religious folks. That's the political party. And they have nothing in common except that now they have a common enemy. And so they've come together in verse 13. Just as an aside, anytime you see the religious folks and the political folks getting together, best thing you can do is run. It's trouble. It's trouble. Because honestly, neither one of them have pure motives, (laughs) and they're both looking to get ahead enough so they can turn around and stab the other one in the back as soon as they get the chance. That's the way it always happens, and that's what was going to happen with these guys. But they had this enemy, Jesus, and they had to get rid of him. So they got together and they said, we're just going to ask him a question. We're going to ask him a question he can't answer and no matter how he answers it, some of the people are going to get stirred up and we can, we can foment that. We can get them stirred up more and then we'll have an excuse to take him and do away with him. We'll just ask a simple question. And so they come to him and they butter him up. That's what they're doing in the first part there. In, in, uh, in verse number uh, 14, look at it, it says, And when they were come, they said to him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. They're laying it on real thick. You're wonderful and you're wise and, and you don't, you know, you're, just, you're going to be honest and you're going to be fair. So here's the question. Should we pay tribute to Caesar or not? All we need is a yes or a no. That's all we need. You see, if he says, pay tribute to Caesar, then the Pharisees are going to say, He's a traitor to his own people. He supports Rome, and he's a traitor to Israel. And they'll get the people all stirred up, and they'll take him. If he says, no, don't pay tribute to Caesar, the Herodians will say, he's committing treason. He's a traitor against the lawful king, and they'll get the people all stirred up, and they'll take him. So they're just waiting for the answer. And Jesus says, bring me a penny. And they bring it. And he says, whose image and superscription is on there? Whose, Whose picture is there? Whose name is on there? And it was obvious it was Caesar. And he gives that classic answer. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Then you'll notice in your Bible there's a period and there's a little short sentence at the end of verse 17. It says, and they marveled at him. You know what that little sentence means? They didn't get him. Nobody got stirred up. Nobody got upset. Nobody got angry. It all fell apart right in front of them. And they marveled at him. And they walked away discouraged and disgusted. He gave the perfect answer. Now, just as an aside, don't you kind of wish that he had said, thou shalt not pay taxes? (laughs) Wow, that'd stir your heart, wouldn't it? You could preach on that four or five times a year, and the people would still love it. Amen? It's good stuff. I, 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 I just wish. But he didn't. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That's obvious what he was talking about. He's answering the question. You, that, that coin, it's got Caesar's picture on it. It's got his name on it. Obviously, it came from him somewhere along the line. So if he wants it back, then you should render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. It came from him. Give it back to him. But that's only the first half of the answer. It says, and to God, the things that are God's. So if we're being careful to give back to Caesar that which came from him, then should we not be much more careful to give to God that which belongs to him? So what is that? Well, there are a lot of things in the Bible that it tells us belong to God. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse number 1, it says, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Genesis 14, verse number 19 says he's the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. So I think that's kind of obvious, don't you? The heavens and the earth belong to God. They're his, he created them, they belong to him. We get to stay here for a little while, but like we said yesterday morning, even if we live to be a hundred or something like that, it's a tiny little blip on the scale of time. This is not ours forever. As a matter of fact, we know from scripture that God's going to destroy this one day. We don't get to do it. By the way, if you thought you were going to do it with your hairspray and your, your diesel emissions, I'm sorry, you were thinking too highly of yourself. We don't get to do it. God has reserved that for himself. He's already said he's going to do it. We're not going to do it. He's going to do it. You say, well, that's horrible. That's terrible. Only if this is all you have. If this is all you have, go ahead. try Get you an electric car. Do all that. Try to try to make it last forever. It's not going to last forever. But if, if this is all you got, enjoy it because it's not going to be around too long. If you if you know the word of God, you know, he's going to make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth one day. Isn't that wonderful? And it won't have the stain of sin all over it. And that'll be a wonderful, wonderful place. So the heavens and the earth belong to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 26 and 28, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So not only does the earth belong to God, but all, the, all that it produces belongs to God. 1 Chronic, Chronicles excuse me, 29, verses 11 and 12, says, All that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. So the heavens belong to God, the earth belongs to God, all that's in them belong to God. All the stars, all, everything you see out there, it all belongs to God. Uh, the mountains, the trees, the lakes, the rivers, it all belongs to God. It's all His. But there's more than that. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Leviticus. 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 Chapter number 27. In Leviticus chapter 27, the Israelites are moving into the promised land and God is giving them instructions on what to do in the land. And he goes into great detail. I mean, there's everything in there from where they're supposed to put their tents to uh, what their clothes are to be made out of, to how they trim their beard, to everything is covered. Everything right down to the most minute detail of their lives. It's all there. And you get down to Leviticus 27 verse 30 and it says this. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. He said, now, when you get in there and you get set up and you've got all the rest of this stuff in order, you need to understand that a tithe, 10% of what you produce, belongs to God. Notice he didn't say, it's yours and I want you to give it to God. He didn't say that. He said, it is the Lord's. It's already the Lord's. So for God to ask for that which is already his is only reasonable. Amen? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He said, well, that's, that's Israel in the land and that doesn't apply to me. Well, that's good. But if you know your Bible that well, you know there was tithing before this. There was tithing before the law. Abraham paid tithes way back there. And you know that Jesus said in the Gospels, don't leave it undone. That's interesting, isn't it? So, well, it's just not unreasonable of God to demand 10% of my stuff. God's not asking for 10% of your stuff. God is saying to you, I'm going to give you everything you need. And I want you to keep 90% of my stuff. Now, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? (laughs) If you get to keep 90% of God's stuff, that's much better than God demanding 10% of yours. You see, you need to realize it all came from God anyway. It's all His. And He can either turn the faucet on or shut it off. And if you'll trust Him, He will give you everything you need. He really will. And He says, I just want that which is already mine. Just surrender that to me. So the tithe belongs to the Lord, just like the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. But it goes further than that. You're in Leviticus. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Because there's a whole category of things here that belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, verse number 29. It says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Isn't that amazing? There's a whole category of things called the secret things that are the sole property of God. And not only that, he goes into detail and he says everything that you need is yours. It's revealed to you. All that stuff that's revealed to you, that's yours. The stuff that's not revealed to you, that doesn't belong to you. That's why God didn't reveal it to you. It's his. And he gave you everything that you need in order to do everything he wants you to do. It's it's ours. It's revealed. It belongs unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. In other words, everything God has revealed is enough for me to do everything he wants me to do. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to go find something different. I don't have to go searching for something more. He's revealed everything that I need. What a wonderful God. And yet we spend most of our time wanting to know things that are not ours to know. Our natural tendency, listen, all through your life, you're going to run into situations and circumstances that God does not explain to you, that he doesn't give you an answer for. And you may well say, God, why? Why did this happen? God, why did you do this? Why did you allow that? God, why, why, why? I don't think God takes offense when we ask why. He made us and he knows how our minds work. And I don't think he has a problem with us asking why at all. But you need to understand that he's not obligated to tell you. He's not. He doesn't have to. And things happen, and we say, God, why? Why did it happen, and why did you allow it, and why didn't you do this, and why didn't you do that? And it seems like there's silence from God. We know that we're supposed to live by faith. We know that. The just shall live by faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that. And yet we spend the vast majority of our Christian lives trying to avoid living by faith. Because if you have an answer, you're not living by faith. We want to know the whys and the wheres and the hows. And we want to know every detail. And God says, just trust me. Just trust me. That is the essence of faith. When we trust God and we don't have a a reason We don't have an answer. We don't have a black and white, this is why it happened, this is how it happened, this is what I have planned for down the road. Most of the time, God is not going to give you that. Instead, he's going to say, trust me. Just trust me. By faith, trust me. The secret things belong to God. What do you do when there's some circumstance in your life and you don't get an answer You leave that in the hands of Almighty God. It's either that or get bitter and angry and go the other direction. And that's not going to help you. Instead, God says, can you just trust me enough to put it in my hands and leave it there? And that's not easy. I understand that's not easy. But that's living by faith. Because those secret things, those things that he never reveals, there's a reason for that. He wants us to trust him. He didn't make us little robots who, who have to trust him and have to serve him and have to. He, he didn't do that to us. Instead, he just says, I want you to trust me. So I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to reveal to you everything that you need to do what you need to do. And anything that I didn't reveal, You're just going to have to trust me with it. We don't like that. But that's faith. There are things in the Bible I don't understand. Does that shock you? (laughs) It shouldn't shock you. Because there are things in there you don't understand. There are things in there nobody understands. That shouldn't shock you either. Unless, unless you've ever done any Bible study, you know, and you've come across one of those places, it's a little hard to kind of put together and you, there's a spot there just a little rough and, and you can't quite make everything fit. And so you go get a commentary from some wise old saint of God from 100 years ago and you open it up and almost without fail, you know what you'll find? They skipped over it, and pretended it wasn't even there. They just, they just jumped right over that verse and didn't even bother to say anything. You know why? Because they didn't have a clue. That's why. They didn't have a clue and they didn't want to look silly. So they left it blank. As a matter of fact, you'll find that in every commentary. You find something that's really difficult in the Bible, they'll skip right over it every single time. They do it. Now, that ought not surprise you. You see, if God wrote a book, and he did I would expect that there would be things in there too hard for me to understand. Because I'm not God. And if I could understand all of it, I mean right down to the nth degree, I would suspect I was almost as smart as the guy who wrote it. And I'm not. So I would imagine there are going to be some things in there that are beyond my understanding. And sure enough, there are. Have you ever read Ezekiel? Ezekiel? Go home and read Once you think you've got everything all figured out, go read Ezekiel. Just sit down for a quick read one night and read the book of Ezekiel and see what that does. I mean, there's stuff spinning and flying through the air and there's hot stuff and cold stuff. You're ducking all over the place. I've read all kinds of guys' books on Ezekiel, and you know what I found out? They're not sure either. They're not really sure. They don't know. I suspect God put some of that in there just so we remember we're not as smart as we think we are. And you know what? When we get to heaven, he might just tell us all about it. We might step into heaven, and all of a sudden, all that make perfect sense to us. Oh, well, that's so obvious. From that perspective. From our perspective, it doesn't make any sense at all. We just have to trust him. We had a young man in the church, and Fairbanks, he, w- he went off Bible college and he was doing well. And, and, and he called me one day and he was all distraught. He was just, I mean, he was really, he was confused. He didn't know what to do. And, and, and somebody had written a paper. They had written this little paper and uh, all this stuff and, and given it to him. And he read it and he had never read anything like it in all his life. I mean, he didn't get interested in serving God until he was already going to public university and all the rest and uh, the state university. And then he, he got right, went off to Bible school. He'd never spent any time learning anything from the Bible. And and a lot of stuff was brand new to him. And somebody gave him this paper on the gap theory. And, and he read that and he called me and he said, did you know that? I said, well, yeah. He said, did you you know this? Yeah. He said, I've never seen this before in all my life. He said, "What, what am I supposed to do with this? And I said, nothing. Do nothing. He said, should I take it and confront my professor? I said, no, no. I know your professor. Don't confront your professor. No, that won't go well. I said, you take it and you file it away. And someday when you have lots of extra time, you pull it out. And you read it. If you want to go back over it, go ahead. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Because, now hang on, hang on to your pew. It's going to stir you up. Doesn't matter. You know, people have been fighting over that for centuries. You know why they've been fighting over that for centuries? Because there's a lot of speculation involved, no matter which way you go. I'm just being honest with you. That's the truth. I wish God had put a whole nother verse right in there and said, here's what happened right here between these. But you know what? He didn't. He didn't do it. And so people fuss and they fight and they argue and on and on and on they go. And, and, you know, whoever believes it's a heretic and whoever doesn't, a heretic. And on and on and on we go back and forth and all the rest. And you know what it accomplishes? Zero. Nothing. So when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. I doubt it. I doubt it. Listen, <laughs> listen, we get to heaven and God says, was it not obvious there was something happening between verse 1 and verse 2? I'll say, okay. If he says, come on, bozo, there was nothing there. Don't be reading stuff in there. I'll say, okay. But I suspect he won't even bother with that. Because if it wasn't important enough to reveal it to us now, Why would it be important enough to reveal it then? I'm smiling at you because you can't get mad at me. I smile at you. Amen? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And some things he has simply chosen to keep for himself. For whatever reason. But we know one reason. He wants us to just trust him. And if he wanted us to have the answer, he would give us the answer. He would reveal it because he's already revealed everything he wanted us to have an answer to. What a good God. Amen. You see, the heavens and the earth belong to him. All that's in them belong to him. The tithe belongs to him. The secret things belong to him. But there's more. Look, if you would, over at Deuteronomy chapter 7. You're in in chapter number 29 there. Go back to chapter 7. Verse number 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. You know who that is? That's the nation of Israel. God said, I have chosen you to be mine. I've set you apart to myself, and you are mine. So there's a a whole group of people that belong to God. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, that, they're not much of a people. Well, neither are we. Aren't you glad God likes misfits? It's a good thing. You say, well, they're all messed up. Well, sure, they're human beings. All human beings are messed up, but they're chosen people. We mentioned last night the, the heresy of replacement theology. Listen, don't buy into that stuff. Those are God's people. They are God's chosen people. He's not done with them. He will fulfill every promise He ever made to them completely, right down to the letter. There's a group of people that belong to God. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he said, I'll bless those who bless thee and curse those who curse thee. That's why it's so important how we treat that little nation. And if we don't treat Israel well, it will not go well with us as a nation. Thank God we seem to be uh, on, a, on a track to treat them well. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And in Titus chapter 2, verse number 14, it says this: Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's not Israel. That's us. That's the born-again, blood washed, redeemed of the Lord, right there. That's us the saved isn't that wonderful I get in on this thing I'm glad for that listen I'm glad that I get to be part of a group that belongs to God I wasn't born an Israelite a Jew but thank God one day I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and I became part of that group that belongs to him that's exciting but it gets more personal than that you see it's one thing to belong to a group that belongs to God that's nice, but it's much more personal than that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20, it says this, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So not only do the redeemed belong to God as a whole, but on a very personal, individual level, I belong to God, my body belongs to God. My spirit belongs to God. It says they are both gods. They're not mine. They belong to God. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, when he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto unto God, it's because it's your reasonable service. You see, if you're going to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, you should render to God that which is God's. And if my body and spirit belong to him, then I should give it to him. Because it's not really mine. That's why I'm not going to go down tonight after church and get another tattoo. I just check and see if you're awake. I don't have any. I I don't have any. Not going to go down and get a tattoo. Not even a Christian tattoo. If there were such a thing, which there's not, but that's a different night. Not going to do that. You know why? Because this body doesn't belong to me because I'm saved. It's not mine. It already belongs to God and I'm just using it for a while and I don't have the right to defile it. It's not mine. You see, if you take something that belongs to somebody else and you use it for your own purposes, we have a word for that. It's called theft So if I take this body that belongs to God and I go out and do something that displeases God with this body, I'm stealing from God. That's pretty severe, isn't it? If I'm going to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, I need to render to God that which is God's. But listen, not only do I not want to do something that's going to defile my body, the word of God says my spirit belongs to him as well. Sometimes those things are harder to Put your finger on. You know, somebody goes out and gets a, a piercing or they get a tattoo or they get some weird thing done to them. We can see it. There it is. It's obvious. But probably even more destructive is if you allow your spirit to become defiled. You don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to harbor bitterness and anger and all the rest of the because those things defile your spirit. And it's not yours to play with like that. It's not yours. If you're saved, it belongs to God. You don't have the right to defile your spirit that way. If your body belongs to God and you're careful what you do with it, how much more should you be careful with what you do with your spirit? Because it's not mine It's his. And if I take it and I misuse it and use it for my own purposes, I am stealing from God. But I want you to look now at Psalm 94. Psalm 94. In Psalm 94, verse 1, the psalmist makes a a bold statement. He says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. He's saying, God, vengeance is yours. It belongs to you. And of course, he's absolutely right. And we know from Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where he said, avenge not yourselves. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is the sole property of God Almighty. Just like the heavens and the earth and the secret things in your body and Israel. And it belongs to God. But look what he says in verse 2. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? He says in verse 1, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. And then the next several verses, you can read right on down. He's saying, now, God, it's, it's yours. Why don't you use some? He needs some and she needs some. And God, take some of that vengeance that's yours and put it right back there. They need some, God. Let them have it. They're getting away with murder. Get them, get them. Isn't that how we are? (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, vengeance belongs to God. Now I'm going to help him and start the process right here. If I choose to take vengeance, I'm taking something that belongs to God, and I'm using it for my own purposes, and that is stealing. That is theft. We often think that we have to take vengeance because, and if you'll be honest, you'll admit this, we're afraid God won't. We're afraid God will let him get away with it. And so we have to step in and we have to do something. And you know why we have to do that? Because we don't trust God to do what he said he'd do. We think we have to get in there and make it work. And that always ends badly. Listen, if he's done something that's hurt me, that's offended me, that's wounded me, you know what I need to do? I need to wash my hands of it and get out of the way. Because God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I will take care of it. Isn't it interesting that God never says vengeance is ours? It's his. You know why that is? Because he can't trust us with it. We would misuse it. We would abuse it. And so we jump in there and say, I'm gonna get him back. As a matter of fact, he's hurt me so bad, I'm really gonna get him. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna to refuse to speak to him. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? <laughs> Listen, just just as an aside, if somebody's giving you the silent treatment, that's not punishment. Come on. Somebody's giving you the silent treatment. Enjoy the peace and quiet. It'll pass. It'll pass. Just enjoy the moment. God must look down at us sometimes and just laugh at us and think, how stupid can they be? If they would just get out of the way, I'd handle this. But if I get in there and I'm going to handle it, now I'm really putting myself between him and God. And now God has to deal with me too. And now we're both messed up, and I've just made it worse, and so now God's going to fix us both. And who knows who else we're going to infect with it all before it's all over. If I just have gotten out of the way in the first place and let God do what God does, everything would have been just fine. Vengeance is mine. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, it is not ours, it is His. And if we take it for ourselves and use it for our own purposes, we are stealing from Almighty God. We don't want to be found stealing from God. Now turn, if you would, to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel, chapter 9. Verse number 8. O Lord God, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. That should probably be our new national motto we, isn't it weird, the world that we live in today? We don't know right from wrong. We, we, can't, even, we can't even look and determine if it's a boy or a girl. I and mean, We're just not sure, and we certainly don't want to say out loud in case they're identifying a different way today. How does that happen? Because we've turned against God. That's how that happens. But look at verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses though we have rebelled against him. To us belongs confusion of faith. To God belongs mercies and forgivenesses. Isn't it interesting that not only does vengeance belong to God, and he doesn't allow us to take care of it, but mercy and forgiveness belong to him as well. They're not ours. They're his. You know why he reserves those for himself? Same reason he reserves vengeance. Because he couldn't trust us with them. We would not give them out where he wants them given out. We'd hold them back from some people. We'd give them people we like. We'd show mercy to nice people. We'd show forgiveness to people that we felt were appropriately sorry. But anybody else, no deal. You ought to be glad that God keeps those for himself. Because if it was up to somebody else, you might not have qualified. Thank God you qualified. You see, mercy is all through the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere you go, it's everywhere. In Psalm 136, verses 1 through 26, every single verse ends with the phrase, For his mercy endureth forever. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, It is of our Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The mercy of God is all through the Word of God, and I'm glad that it was available that day that I heard the gospel and I needed to be saved. I'm glad it was there, and nobody said, Well, you don't really deserve mercy. Because I didn't. But God said, here it is. It's mine, and I'm going to give you some. You can have it. Mercies belong to God, and forgivenesses belong to God. They're not ours. That means we don't get to decide who gets them. God says, they're mine, and all I want you to do is just put them out there where everybody can get to them. You just spread them out. Let everybody know they're out there and they're available. Anybody can have it. That almost rubs us the wrong way. Some people it's hard to think of in terms of mercy and forgiveness. Just last year in 2016, there was that guy that walked into that church in South Carolina and murdered those people. Just murdered them in cold blood. And in his first trial and all that, the sentencing, he said he'd do it again. It's hard to look at somebody like that and immediately think, oh, mercy and forgiveness. Instead, you're thinking, just do away with him as quickly as possible. That's the truth. Last year, there was that guy that went into that bar in Orlando, murdered 50 people. Just like that. Just murdered 50 people. 50 people that Jesus died for. That's awful. There were people last year who went into train stations and airports. Uh, it happened in Turkey. It, happened, it exploded bombs and murdered people who were just going about their daily business. There was that guy just last week that on that bridge in, in England that ran through there and murdered some people. It, it is hard to look at people like that and think mercy and forgiveness. That's not the first thing that comes to our mind. And if they came to us and said, oh, why don't you forgive me? We would, <laughs> they, they would be hard pressed to find somebody quick to forgive. Would they not? I'm just being honest. But now you know as well as I do, if any one of those evil, vile, wicked people, any one of them were to turn to God and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, you know what God would hand them? Mercy and forgiveness. It's a good thing they don't have to get it from me. It's a good thing I didn't have to get it from somebody like me. I'm glad God was just as ready to hand it to me when I asked for it. What a wonderful God. He says, those are mine. Mercy and forgiveness belong to God. I don't get to decide who gets them and who doesn't get them. Just like I don't get to pass out vengeance, I don't get to hold on to mercy and forgiveness. I have to put it out there for everybody. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You'll notice in that passage there are no loopholes. There are no exceptions. It's not talking about nice people or fun people or kind people. Those are easy to forgive. By, by definition, annoying people are the ones you have to forgive. That's a bummer, isn't it? Wouldn't it be better if it was nice, likable people you had to forgive? But it's not. It's annoying people. And God doesn't even give us an option. He just says, forgiving one another. Just do it. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now hold it. They just don't deserve it. You're right. They don't. Think back to the day you got saved. Did you deserve to have your sins just washed away by the blood of Christ? Did you deserve to be forgiven? No, you did not. You deserved hell for all eternity. And instead, you got forgiveness. but, But if I forgive them, you know why you got forgiveness? Because Jesus died on the cross for you. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You weren't forgiven on the basis of whether or not you deserved it. You were forgiven on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. You don't understand. If I forgive them, they will do it again. I wish I could tell you that wasn't true, but it's probably true. They probably will do it again. They probably will. But that's totally irrelevant. Think back to the day you got saved. Do you think that day you got saved, God was laboring under the delusion that you would never sin again? (laughs) You think that's why he saved you? Because he thought you would never sin again? Let's give God more credit than that. He knew better. He knew what you would do the next day, the next week, the next month. He knew. He knew. And he knew there would be some things that you would do again and again and again and again. And each time and your heart is broken and you're down at the altar saying, God, I did it again. This is the, like the 15th time. God says to you, in essence, you are forgiven. Not because you deserve it. Not because you won't ever do it again but because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for that sin. That's why you're forgiven. And he says, I want you to forgive for the same reason I forgive you. You just take my forgiveness and pass it out. Not fun. Not easy. But you were glad somebody passed it out to you one day. You see, mercy and forgiveness belong to God. Forgiveness is self-imposed suffering. Did you get that? Forgiveness is choosing to suffer for somebody else. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He suffered for somebody else of his own free will. (laughs) Vengeance belongs to God. Mercy belongs to God. Forgiveness belongs to God. And if I'm going to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, I better be careful to render to God that which is God's. I pay my taxes. Is this being recorded? Okay. I pay my taxes. I want that to be very clear. As a matter of fact, I suspect I pay several people's taxes. And and I'm very careful to do so. And there's one reason and one reason only. It's not because I love the IRS. In my book, the IRS is a few steps lower than the DMV. And and you have to dig to get to the DMV. I have no love for the IRS, and you probably don't either. I pay taxes for one reason and one reason only. I'm afraid. That's why you pay your taxes. That's the only reason. (laughs) You don't do it out of civic responsibility. We're afraid they'll come get us. Now, if I'm careful to do that out of fear, should I not much more be careful to give to God what is His? Because He loves me. Because I love Him. Because of all that He's done for me. I want to close with one, one little verse. It's a question. It's found in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 8. You've heard it before, you know it. It's one little question. It says this. Will a man rob God. It's so that's talking about tithing. Yes, it is, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Tonight, are you holding on to something that's not yours to hold on to? Are you claiming ownership over something that's God's? If so, you better let it go. You better render it and surrender it back to Him. Because if you don't, it'll destroy you. If you're hanging on to something that's not yours, you better get rid of it in a hurry. Good news, you could do it tonight. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.